keep that passage open in front of you, and that's the one we're looking at tonight. But now let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at his word together. Our Heavenly Father, as people here who know your mercy, uh, because we know your Son who died for us so that we could be forgiven and who rose again so that we might have the certain hope of eternal life, we pray that now through your word you would teach us your ways. Uh, you would teach us how to live as your saved people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by about uh, 9.30 on uh, Monday morning, uh, I could safely say I was sick of politics for the week. I'd had my dose of politics. When we went home from church last night, you mightn't have even realised it, but uh, Tony Abbott was up all night on the phones uh, trying to shore up support. And it's funny though, because then on Monday morning I sat down to uh, prepare, start thinking about this passage for tonight. And I thought, of all the weeks for us to come to Romans 13, 1-7, it had to be this week with all the shenanigans going on in our government in Canberra. Who says God doesn't have a sense of humour? But uh, today's passage is all about government. That's what it's about. It's about politics, government, and especially about how we Christians respond or relate to our government, which, as I say, is very, very relevant to Australia this week. Uh, It's a very relevant topic. But you might actually wonder how relevant it is to this book of Romans. We sort of lose the flow of the book of Romans because we look at a little chunk each week in our our gospel teams during the week and then here on Sunday night. But uh, if you're just reading through Romans, I think this fact when he just suddenly turns to start talking about government takes you a bit by surprise because if you remember just flick back to Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 remember that sort of radical call God has made on our lives through the apostle Paul it's the most incredible truth in those verses where he says if you are someone who knows the mercy of God if you are someone who knows Jesus I want you to give me everything that's the call he makes He says, I want you to give me your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your body, your everything. That's what I want. I want you to give up your life and give it to me as a living sacrifice. I don't just want two hours on a Sunday evening. I want that, yes, but I want everything. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That is what I want. Your whole life lived in worship of me. That's the call he makes. It's massive. Everything you do, God says, do it for me. That's what I want. And so last week we started to see that spelt out. You remember the passage Troy opened with us last week where at the first glance it sort of had all these lists of do's and don'ts, 23 do's and six don'ts. Thanks, Troy. Uh, But even as you looked at it, it was more than a list, wasn't it? It was actually rousing stuff. They were the sort of things you would expect a life of worship would look like. So it was things like, if you flick through the second half of chapter 12 from last week, it was things like love one another with sincerity, detest evil, be fervent in spirit. Don't be half-hearted, be fervent in spirit. Love your enemies, conquer evil with good. That's great stuff. It's the sort of stuff you expect a life of worship to involve. And then you get to Romans 13 verse 1 and I must admit I was really disappointed that I'd given Troy that passage last week and I got this one because it says do what the government tells you to do there it is it's the message of the passage do what the government tells you to do you're thinking well why don't you sit down now Phil but anyway uh, but it's not very radical is it in fact it seems a bit sort of ordinary and conservative uh, especially compared to that call to love your enemies and all that sort of stuff What we have to remember is that living a life of worship 
doesn't mean we get lifted out of our ordinary existence onto some higher spiritual plane. You see, living a life of worship means we live how God wants us to live. We live these radical lives. We live to honour him in the ordinary, everyday, standard realities of life. That's the Christian life. So if you think about it, for most of us, where do you live the majority of your life? See, it's not in a refugee camp in the Sudan, helping the poor. Although I would love it if a few people from here did go and give their lives to do something like that. That would be amazing and we'd pray for you and it would be wonderful. But for most of us, where do we live that, that radical life where we show this incredible love and forgiveness and all these other things we were talking about last week? It's in your office, in that boring little cubicle where you spend those hours, or in your school, or, or at your university, or it's in your family, and it's in your neighbourhood. See, the life of worship is about living radically in the normal world. And part of our normal world, you can't escape it, is the law and government and authorities and people who get to tell us what to do. Isn't that just life? That's just the normal life that every human being lives. You can't escape it. But why do you think the apostle takes the time to specially talk about this issue? You know, in these chapters, at the end of this most important letter ever written, he could have talked about any issues he wanted to, but he decided, I'm going to take seven of my verses and talk about government. Why pick that topic? Why would this be an issue for Christians? Think about it for a minute. I think it's an issue because Jesus' call on our life could be heard and has been heard by many Christians to say that Christians don't have to listen to earthly authorities. We have a higher authority, so why should we listen to earthly governments? And if you think about it, it could be true. I mean, we know a higher authority, don't we? Who is your king? Who is your king? Jesus is. We don't just sing it in the Colin Buchanan children's songs before our morning church. It's true for adults. Jesus is our king. We are part of the kingdom of God. What was the message Jesus came and preached? When Mark wants to sum it up at the beginning of Mark's gospel, he said, Jesus came and said, repent and believe, because what? The kingdom of God is near. That is the kingdom we are a part of. So whose laws are your number one priority? Jesus' laws, God's laws. That's our number one priority. Where is our citizenship? Where is our home? It's in heaven, isn't it? We are citizens of heaven. Jesus says, I don't want you to get too attached down here. He says, do not think of this as your home. You are just like one of those sort of people on a temporary visa down here. Your home is in heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You are a refugee, an alien, a stranger in this world. So don't get too too attached. So it hasn't been a massive leap for many Christians to say, that means we can just ignore the laws of the land. We have a higher calling. They don't bind us. We just listen to God. Other Christians sort of go the other way. And they think, oh, it means we should throw ourselves into the political process. We have to make the kingdom of God happen here on earth. And so it's never okay for there to be non-Christian government. So what we've got to do is work to get rid of the government and bring in Christian government. We should establish, if Christ is the one true king, well, we should try and establish a government that sets out his laws for our country. I don't think either of those attitudes are right 
or biblical, even though they are both driven by right theology. See, they're driven by a right understanding that Jesus is the king, but they're not the right outworking of that. But do you know, in some ways, I would rather it if you thought that way, one of those two ways. I'd rather if we had a church full of radical people like that uh, who need this sort of corrective from the Apostle Paul tonight. Because at least people who think that get that being a follower of Jesus Christ is radical and changes everything. Uh, See, I'd rather that than the other Christian attitude you see, uh, which is an attitude that's exactly the same as everyone else in our country's attitude to government. What's that attitude? That is that governments are to be whinged about and complained about and resented. And so we keep the law when? If we agree with it. Or if we think there's a chance we'll get caught and punished if we don't keep the law. But if there's no chance we're going to get caught and we don't agree with it, well then we just ignore it. That's the Australian attitude to the law. That's not a biblical attitude either. So that what is the right attitude then to earthly authorities? Well, let's have a look at chapter 13. Look with me. Verse 1. He says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Submission is about recognising that there is order. That there are people who have authority over us just as we have authority over other people. It recognises that I must honour and obey the people who have authority over me. And here it's very simple. Everyone must submit to the relevant authorities. Now in every Bible study I've ever been in that has looked at Romans 13, immediately someone in the group says, yeah, but. And people want to come up with all the exceptions for why it's okay to not submit to the governing authorities what about if the government is evil we say what about if they're anti-christian and there are exceptions and if i was preaching this to the church in iran or, or saudi arabia i'd spend a lot more time on them but i want to say to you they are generally irrelevant to us in our day-to-day life god's call on his people is to submit to and that means obey those in authority over us So that means our government, that means the police, that means the tax office, that means the roads and traffic authority or whatever they're called now. That means if you're at school, the school principal, whoever else is in authority over you. So why should I? Why should I submit to the government, especially if I think the law is silly or unfair or unenforceable? Well, we're given two reasons. Firstly, and most importantly, It's because God establishes all authority. So look at the second half of verse 1. He says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Tony Abbott woke up on Tuesday morning, and he would have turned to his wife, and he would have thought and said, I am Prime Minister because of all those phone calls I made all night on Sunday night and because I promised those people in South Australia a submarine or something. Something I didn't fully understand. Mike Baird thinks he is our Premier because Barry O'Farrell got given a bottle of wine and forgot to tell people about it. And in an earthly sense, they're right. Our governments are democratically elected. That's how they work. Other governments come to power through a military coup or through a revolution, others come to power because mummy's the queen. So now I'm the king. Isn't that wonderful? But behind all of that is God's hand at work. 
See, every authority, and this is the important part, every authority, whether you think they are good or bad, competent or incompetent, every authority is put there by God. And sometimes we tear our hair out and think, how could God allow it? But they are all there by God's hand. And because of that, when we fail to submit to those authorities, we are actually rebelling against God himself. Look at verse 2. It says, So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. It's very, very simple. If I rebel against the authorities God has put in place, whatever those authorities are over you, I rebel against God. And if I rebel against God, I should expect to face judgment. I think the judgment, first of all, here is the judgment of the government, you know, for breaking the law. It's fines, it's going to jail or whatever. But it also extends out into the end time judgment of God. Because disobeying God leads to judgment. It's funny, when I talk about that person's really godly, what do you usually think I'm talking about? We tend to think of religious things, don't we? They read their Bible a lot. They pray. They're, they're a regular part of church. They serve. They, they do all sorts of things like that. Or we think of relational things. They're really godly because they're loving. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They love their neighbor. And that's right. But if I do all those things, but then I don't pay my taxes, or I break copyright laws, or I lie to avoid my duties then I am disobeying God. Just as if I failed to meet with God's people or if I failed to love my brothers and sisters here at church. So that is the first reason why we submit to earthly authorities. And that's the major reason. But there's a second reason and it's really pragmatic. It's because it's for your own benefit because they have the right to punish us. Just look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have its approval. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. So what's he saying? He's saying God has set governments and authorities in place, and he has given them the sword to carry. That means God has given them the right to punish wrongdoers. So if you don't want to get into trouble, he says, then just submit. Submit to the authorities. I always laugh to myself when I talk to someone uh, who's just got a speeding fine. Has anyone here just got a speeding fine? Anyway, I won't ask that question. I always ask, laugh when, when people get a speeding fine and they come and say, oh, the government's just on about revenue raising. I always laugh and think, who cares? Were you speeding? What have you got to worry? What have you got to complain about? If you were speeding, pay the fine. And I think that is what God would say. If you prayed to God and said, I'm so upset with the government, they're just on about revenue raising, and I didn't know the speed camera was there, God would say to you, who cares? Suck it up. It doesn't matter. Seriously, you broke the law, you pay the fine. That is what God would say. Stop whining, stop disrespecting the authorities I have put in place and do the right thing. So when our government sends people to prison 
or fines people or whatever, they have that right. It is a God-given right to punish people who do wrong. More than that, God wants them to do it. God wants them to give you that fine. It is part of his care for this world. It's part of his way of maintaining order in our society. And it's part of his judgment on our wrongdoing. And I want to say to you, if you don't believe that, if you think, oh, I can't believe how bad this government is in Australia and I don't like the way the police do this and all that, I want to say to you, well, buy a ticket to Mogadishu and go and live there for a while. Do you know where Mogadishu is? I'm assuming some sort of... The capital of Somalia. Go and live there for a while or northern Uganda or southern Sudan, places where there is anarchy, where there is no government, where people are killed and people walk past the bodies and say nothing can be done where people steal your stuff because they're just more powerful than you and so that's their right. And then you realise that even bad government is better than no government. See, we don't have bad government, no matter what people have said this week. We don't have bad government. The rule of law is enforced in our country. If someone murders someone, they are treated with justice. If someone steals something, you know the police will look into it. If someone is corrupt, it is dealt with. That is a wonderful blessing from God. So two reasons why we submit to governing authorities. Firstly, and most importantly, for our own conscience sake. It's the right thing to do because God calls on us to do it. And secondly, for our own sake, to avoid punishment. He summarizes it all at verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, that's the second reason, but also because of your conscience. That's the first reason. So what does this submission to authorities look like? You know, in the day-to-day realities of living our life, what does it look like? Well, he finishes by giving us a very simple little summary. Uh, Put simply, it's give everyone what you owe them. So look from verse 6. He says, and for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honour to those you owe honour. It's very simple. Give the authorities what you owe them. That's what God wants. So what do we owe them? Three things I pull out from those couple of verses. The first is we owe them taxes. Very practical sermon tonight. It's funny. Why do you think he specifically points that one out? Why do you think he specifically points taxes out? If you haven't yet got a job, you won't know what I'm talking about here. But if you earn any income at all, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that is every person in every culture from every time since the beginning of time has hated paying taxes. There is no one who says, look at that, there's my paycheck. And look at that, they took $200 out and gave it to the government. Isn't that wonderful? There's no one who thinks that way. There has never been a person who's thought that way. And more than that, every person in every culture from every time in history, has rationalised why it is okay for them not to pay their taxes, even while everyone else should pay their taxes. What did Jesus say in our first reading before? Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. If you want the modern Australian translation, pay to Tony what is Tony's. That's what it's saying. Pay to Mike what is Mike's. That means we're honest when we fill in our tax returns. We declare all our income. 
We comply with GST laws and the like. I think this is especially pertinent if you're self-employed or if you run a small business or something like that. We do it by the book. Christians don't give discounts for cash to avoid paying GST. And if you're at the stage of life where you just sort of do odd jobs and you don't have one employer, you should declare that income. Even if it's $40 given to you in cash for babysitting, you should declare that income. You'll be under the tax-free threshold anyway. Just in case you didn't know, I, was a, uh, I worked in legal tax before I was a minister, so I can give you some advice on it. But anyway, <laughs> but the point is, Christians pay what they owe. We pay our tolls. Christians pay their fare on the bus or on the train or on the ferry, even if there's no one there to collect it. We pay our way. It's what we do. But secondly, we also owe, what does he say there? Respect and honour. See, God has set up government to keep order in our society. They do God's work of rewarding good and judging evil. And yes, they are imperfect, but on the whole, that is what they do. And no matter how much we might disagree with them on some issues, no matter how much we might think they could do a better job or the other party could do a better job or whatever, no matter what side of politics they're from and whether we voted for them or not, we owe them honour and respect. This is, I think, an Australian cultural sin. I think Australians naturally sin in this way and are blind to it. There is a respect and honour that is owed to those in authority, whatever we think of them. And even while we express disagreement with them, which is our right, there is a way to do it that shows honour and respect for those in authority. And that principle extends to any authority God has put in place. To parents, to teachers, to police, to authorities in the church, and to government. And Australians are hopeless at it. We are much better at cutting down authority and whinging than we are in honouring and respecting it. It's not mentioned here, what's the greatest way we can respect and honour those in authority over us? It's by praying for them. That is the thing we can do as Christians that other people can't do. We can pray for the authorities over us. Just uh, if we get something up on the screen here, Ross, our first Bible passage there, 1 Timothy 2. Have a look, it's on your outline as well. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the early church about what they should do when they meet together. And he doesn't actually demand many things. He doesn't command many things. He commands at one point the public reading of Scripture. But then he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, first of all, then I urge the petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, one of the few things we're actually commanded to do as Christians meeting together is to pray for kings and for all those in authority. So you guys here who are still at school, I think the most wonderful thing you could do is pray for your teacher. You might think that's the weirdest thing I've ever said from the front. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your school principal. All of us pray for our government, pray for the police force, pray for our government that they would govern us fairly, pray that as far as possible their laws would be in step with God's laws, 
pray that the government would leave us free to live godly lives and tell other people about Jesus so they can be saved. That is part of paying what we owe, of giving honour and respect to our authorities. And of course, I've mentioned it over and over again, but a key part of submission and something we owe authorities is obedience. That's the third thing, obedience. Just think, don't you cringe when up on the front of the newspaper is someone who has publicly said, I'm a Christian, and they're accused of something illegal? Don't you just cringe when that happens? Why do we cringe? Because we know that is dishonouring to God. And we know it sets the cause of the gospel back every time it happens. We cringe because we know to dishonour the authorities, to disobey the authorities, is to dishonour God. We know it in our heart. You don't need to be taught it. But of course, as I mentioned at the start, the big question this all raises is, but what about? You know, but what about if the government persecutes Christians? What about if the government is introducing laws that are out of step with God? What about if the government is truly evil, like the Nazis in Germany or the Islamic State that is coming to power in parts of the Middle East? What then? A couple of things I would say. The first is, as I mentioned before, as much as we love talking about extreme cases in our Bible studies, they're nearly always irrelevant to us. That's the first thing I'd say. We do not have a bad government in Australia and we have never had a bad government in Australia. And I grew up in Queensland where the government was found to be corrupt. But it's not a bad government in that sense. Because the rule of law and Christian morality, which is the basis of our legal system, was still enforced. Murderers were put in jail. Thieves were put in jail. Corruption wasn't looked after too well when I was growing up, but still, two out of three ain't bad. The second thing is to remember that Paul, remember this, when Paul wrote this, he hadn't even heard of democracy. Hadn't even crossed his mind. What was the government when Paul wrote Romans, that he, when he could say, submit to all authorities? The emperor was a guy called Nero. Have you ever heard of Nero? People have done ancient history. Nero was famous for crucifying people upside down and setting them on fire. Who were the other authorities Paul had to deal with when you read the book of Acts? Well, he knew about good old Pontius Pilate, remember him? And all those Herods, remember those guys? They weren't exactly bastions of good, fair government, were they? But he could still say, I want you to submit to government, submit to authority. He said, honour them, respect them, submit to them. That's all by way of saying, I don't think there are any real so-whats for people living in Sydney in 2015. But, of course, there are occasions where obeying the law would mean disobeying God, even in our country. And in that situation, of course, obedience to God must come first. Just occasionally, submitting doesn't equal obeying. See, when the government or authorities ask us to do something that we can't do, because of our conscience as a Christian. That's when we have to submit, but disobey. Respect them, but disobey them. In the book of Acts, we can have the next passage, please, Ross. Uh, In the book of Acts, the authorities of the day tried to get Peter and the other apostles to stop telling people about Jesus. They said, it's just causing too much trouble. It's just causing uproar. 
whenever you, all these people becoming Christians and people were resenting it, can you just stop talking about this Jesus guy? And this is what Peter said. He said, we must obey God rather than men. Very simple. You are the authority. I respect you. I honour you. But God tells me what I have to do first. There are certain rare occasions where obeying God means disobeying earthly authorities. If the government made it illegal to preach the gospel, then we should ignore them and keep preaching the gospel regardless. If the government called on us to harm our neighbours, as governments have done over the last hundred years repeatedly, then we should refuse. It's not an excuse to say, I was following orders. God says at that point, say, if we can get it back up, I must obey God rather than men. And when a government is evil, like Nazi Germany or the Islamic State in the Middle East, then it is sometimes appropriate for Christians to work to overthrow it. But those are the rare occasions, the exceptions that prove the rule, if you like. But I want to tell you, those exceptions on a small scale are going to get more and more real for us here in Australia over the next 10 or 20 years. And they are starting to happen more regularly in our country. And I think we're starting to see it on issues like abortion and homosexual marriage. Ironically, it's in, it's in those areas of, of what might be called family life and, and, and health and so forth, which is where Christians are starting to come up against the government and have to resist what the government is calling on us to do. I'll give you an example. In Victoria, they haven't just made abortion legal, as it's been in many parts of Australia for a long time. The law now requires doctors to either give abortions if people ask them or refer people for abortions if they ask it. And there is no exception under that law. So if you are a doctor in Victoria and someone comes up to you and says, I want to have an abortion, you are required to either give it or refer them to another doctor to have it, no matter what your conscience says. And some Christian doctors have said, no, we can't do that. Just if we go to the next slide, Ross, this guy here, I think is a hero. A couple came to him, pregnant, the lady was pregnant, and they said, 19 weeks pregnant, and they said, we want to have an abortion. And he asked them why, and they said, because it's a girl, and we want a boy. Now, our world, our country is so twisted on this issue that we cannot even see that that is abhorrent. That is evil. That is what that is. It's a, don't, don't mince words on this topic. That is evil. And this doctor had the courage to say, well, I won't be a part of that. And do you know what happened to him? Someone complained to the authorities and they threatened him with deregistration. He had to go through all sorts of legal things just to maintain being a doctor because he was willing to stand up and say, I obey God rather than men. I think if gay marriage comes in, this will be an issue. If you haven't thought about that topic, I just look up the um, podcast where I spoke on gay marriage for a couple of weeks last year if you want a full treatment of that topic. But in some European countries, they haven't just legalised gay marriage. What happens is when they legalised it, they said, yes, but there'll be an exception for churches. That's what they always say. But then within a couple of years, they said, no, 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 you churches, you have to perform the wedding ceremonies. If a gay couple come and want to get married in your church, you have to do the ceremony. And so Christian ministers have had to stand up and say, do what you will, but I will obey God rather than men. Sadly, too many of the Christian churches in those countries have just bowed to the public pressure. 
The same thing's happened in America and the UK recently. There are businesses in America and the UK that have been wedding service businesses, you know, people who make wedding cakes. You think, what a lovely business. But they've been put out of business because they've refused to make a wedding cake for a homosexual couple in the land of tolerance and free speech. You see, there are times coming, teachers have been sacked in England because they refuse to read books to their kids that say that homosexuality is just the same as heterosexual relationships. Those are the sorts of areas where we will face this sort of decision in Australia in the next 10 years. Will we obey God rather than men? And I can tell you, people like me tend to be cocooned from it. We're not on the front line, because in the end they expect us to say crazy things, we ministers in churches. It's school teachers who will face a decision, will I be sacked or will I cave in? It's doctors, it's nurses, it's people like that who will need to make the decision of will I obey God rather than men. But for us, they are the exception. They are the exception. Don't use that as an excuse for why you shouldn't pay your speeding fine. See, we have to remember that in many parts of the world, obeying God rather than man is a daily consequence for Christians. Facing the consequences for, say, I obey God rather than men happens daily for Christians in the Middle East and in North Africa. So we have to pray for people who really face that dilemma every day. Pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in the north of Africa and across the Middle East. For us, though, our call is what? It's to submit. That doesn't mean sit quietly when we disagree, by the way. If you think our government is doing something wrong, if you think they are in the wrong, then you should lobby the government, you should write letters, you should protest in a respectful way. See, we should lobby our government to change laws that are unjust or opposed to God's will. But even in doing that, or even as conscientious objectors, we must still have an attitude of respect and submission to those who God places in authority over us. Because that is part of living that life of total worship. That is part of how we live if we are people who know the forgiveness of Christ, who know the grace of God that's been shown to us in Jesus. That's what it means to live a life of worship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we take this opportunity to give you thanks that we live in a country that on the whole is governed well, where wrongdoing is punished and where good is rewarded. But Father, we know that there are increasingly parts of government decisions and policies that are out of step with you. And so we pray for our government. We pray that it might seek after your will in its decisions and governing. We pray also that we might have the right attitude to our government. Help us to repent of our whinging. Help us to repent of our disrespect. And instead, help us to be people who honour those in authority over us. Most importantly, by praying for them regularly. And we take this opportunity also to pray for our brothers and sisters who truly do face bad government. For brothers and sisters who face persecution day in, day out, simply for saying, I follow Jesus. And we pray that brothers and sisters in those situations might have the courage to stand up and say, I obey God rather than men. And if one day we are placed in that situation, we pray that each one of us here might have that same courage. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.